There's so many lines worth quoting from that uh, clip. I think the one that, that hits me the strongest right now is that prayer, prayer is not intended to inform God. Prayer is intended to transform us. You know, the God who knows everything, the God who has an eye on everything, really doesn't need a to-do list from us, right? He really doesn't need a sticky tab, a reminder, or something or other. We're not telling God anything he doesn't already know. Prayer is not to inform God. Prayer is to transform us. And so in the process of coming into his presence, crying in his presence, laughing, rejoicing in his presence, waiting, quite often waiting in his presence, all kinds of stuff has the potential to take place in us. I mean, everything from just learning a deeper level of trust that God truly is trustworthy to learning how to do this to let go because the majority of us are control freaks by very nature and to be able to just say, I'm letting go, God, this is yours. The, the Martin Luther quote was fantastic. Pray, let God do the worrying. Just like God has. Give it to him. Give it to him uh, because you're controlling it isn't changing anything anyway. So in the process of praying, we are not just informing God, we are being transformed. We are being changed through and through. We started a few weeks back a, a new practice uh, for this year of communion. We're, we're using communion, as, as the Bible tells us to, as a time for uh, introspection, reflection, stop, think, discern what's going on in our hearts. But we're doing it even more intentionally than we normally would. We're, we're using a, a prime question throughout the year. And the question is, how is it with your soul? A question that John Wesley used to ask of people uh, who were being discipled by him. How's your soul? How is it with your soul? And then from that prime question, a number of other questions are being used as prompts to get back to that prime question. So we're moving into a new two-week uh, segment. We, we introduce the question one week. We brood on it for a week. We let it work on us. We come back next week for communion with that question again and give God still more time to allow this to work. We really need that kind of soaker, soaker hose approach to spirituality where we just let something sink in for a while instead of learning it and moving on to the next thing. So the second question that he would pose to people is this. Am I enjoying prayer? I love that question. You know what I love that he didn't ask? Are you praying? I mean, two things will inspire tremendous guilt in almost anybody you talk to. So diet, exercise, how you doing there? Uh, and what's your prayer life like? Uh, but but let's, let's just take the question a little different direction today. When you pray, are you enjoying your time in the presence of God? 
Now, I know enjoy means all kinds of different things to all of us. Some of you are even just thinking, I've never thought of prayer as something enjoyable. That's kind of an interesting thought. Uh, What's going on in prayer right now, in your practice of prayer? Has it become uh, boring, routine? You You just do it because you do it. What's going on in your practice of prayer right now? Is it an enjoyable encounter with the living God? Now, once we probe that question a little bit, then we get down to the, okay, why is it enjoyable? Or why is it not enjoyable? Maybe what it comes down to is that you've just been doing the same thing for a long, long time. And what used to work doesn't work now. But like so many of us, you're so caught up in your habit that your habit has almost, in a sense, become your idol. You're afraid that if you give up the routine you have, something bad might happen. And maybe what God is calling to you, calling you to do as you're sensing a lack of enjoyment is to say, maybe it's time, even if only a season, to switch up approach, to try something different, to get rid of the lists and just sit quietly in the presence of God. Maybe it's time to move away from just sitting quietly and getting back to a little bit more structure. What will it take to bring you back to that place that you just enjoy being in the presence of God. Am I enjoying prayer? So I'm going to give you a minute to let that question soak in in the silence. And then we'll move to one of four stations around the room. There are two in the back. They're lit. Two in the front, lit by candles up here. And uh, receive communion. You can either stand and take it right there as you're facing the cross or you can take communion back to your seat uh, for, the, for a further time of reflection. And the whole time asking that question, am I enjoying prayer? So, offering servers are coming right now. And we're doing our announcements, and you're able to go ahead and take your phone and look at the links and see the things that you're able to sign up for today. Realize if it's your first time here, you don't get a church email. You're kind of like, well, what do I do? You can do one of two things. You can uh, text 22828 and type in the word Southfield, and you can sign up for them that way, or you can go to the welcome desk afterward and say, hey, I want to get those emails. So uh, if you've got that email, go ahead and open it up. The first one is yours. Yeah. So on Friday, February 16th, we're going to be taking both groups, our junior hires and our high schoolers, over to Feed My Starving Children in Aurora. Again, we explained that in the past we've done something called the 30-hour famine where students raise money uh, for a company called World Vision and they take that money and then, uh, the, that we raise and they feed people around the world. And we're, t- we're seeing the other side of that now. So instead of doing the fundraising, we're actually going to be going to a place where we get to pack the meals that all that money pays for. And we've done this before. It's a really cool experience. And again, we do have a limited number of spots because they have other groups coming in that night. So this link, uh, the first link in your email, is it will take you straight to our registration page. Um, we do need, if, if you're a junior hire, you need your parents to sign you up. There is a little bit uh, of waiver information that you'll need to go through. And please make sure that as you register your students, they're actually registered as kids uh, rather than adults because that is helpful in our process. So it's almost a little past the middle of January, which means, hey, February's coming, which means pretty soon winter's done, which means warm is coming, which means yay. But anyway, (laughs) aside from all that, 
February's coming, which means a bunch of people are starting to breathe a little heavy around here because the women's retreat is coming soon. Yeah. And they know. They got a lot of work on their hands. And they've been working on it for a long time, but it never fails. It's, you know, it gets a little intense as you get into the home stretch. Registration so far has been great. And that link gives you information about the retreat as well as the way to sign up. Do you know off the top of the head, uh, of your head the day of the retreat? I don't. Well, I don't Not either. Off the top of my head. Open up your link and find it says, out. It says in February. So, All right. Open the link. Let's find out what you got. There you go. February 10th. February 10th. Good job. See, you're supposed to come and be prepared for announcement. (laughs) All right. I love shaming my son. It is is a cool thing. Explains the counseling. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, I know uh, that there was a lot of fun had here on Friday with with the Created to be Creative night. Yeah, that was awesome. Again, hopefully uh, anybody that you've invited to that that was not from Southfield, shoot them another invite. Uh, for the women's retreat. I, lo- I love when you all like Instagram, whatever, the pictures of those events. It's fun to look at your paintings and go, wow, that really looks like daisies. I mean, mine would look like, oh, <laughs> my word. It just wouldn't look like that at all. So Now, a couple of the other links here are just getting you to the church website. So we have a link there so that you can go to the news page and see what's going on. There's another link involving the soft serve that's coming up. So there's a game night coming up that's not part of the link. Do you know about that? That's actually this Friday. That's... For the first impressions team, first impressions, first impressions team. Yep. So if you're on that uh, first impressions team, then this Friday night there's going to be a game night for you guys, uh, which is really cool. So I encourage you. That's not just for you. That's for you and your family. Uh, so again, make sure to, to ask Susan about that. And, and, and let's yeah. wrap with any retreat information you have. Well, yeah. So this Friday we are taking our junior hires up to Arctic Blast in at Lake Geneva Youth Camp. We are going to be leaving at 5:30. So. That means the wheel's rolling. So if you are a student who is signed up, you need to make sure to remind your parents, because uh, we're all very forgetful people, that uh, we need to be here at 5.30. And we'll have them back on Sunday afternoon between 2 and 3. And we'll keep you guys updated, parents, throughout the weekend as to what's going on and what's happening. But we need to make sure. Last year, it was not really all that cold when we were there. This year, it's going to be cold. So make sure that they're bundled. Uh, again, they need to bring sleeping bags, pillows, because there's a bed, but no bedding. So those are the key things they need. Warm clothes, uh, bedding, and, and toiletries. Please, 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 deodorant, toothpaste, things like that. We need it. We need it. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. Okay. Watch this. Psalm 139. It's an amazing passage that just describes the tremendous intimacy that we can have with our Creator. A passage that describes in, in, in detail, vivid detail, the beauty of our relationship with God. A God who created us, the way he says it, he, God knit us together in our mother's womb. A God who knew us before we were known. He's a God who knew us before we were knowable by any human being. It's amazing. A God whom the psalmist says knows every detail of the script of our lives before we take the stage for the drama. It's incredible. This is a God who knows us intimately. He knows us deeply and he knows us completely. Nothing is hidden from this God. And this is a God who we can know who we can desire, and who we can delight in fully. This is a God who's placed in every human being a capacity for discernment, the ability to know, 
to decide, to determine, to detect, to discriminate. A God who wired us to be able to make good choices and bad choices, to be able to make choices at all. A God who placed in us the ability to separate good from evil. A God who takes great joy in watching his children grow in wisdom and understanding, just like we like watching our human kids grow in wisdom and understanding. This is the God of Psalm 139. This is the God of the Bible, and this is the God we have worshipped this morning, today, as we have been together. Well, we're in this series on discernment, and we shared with you last week a definition found in the book Pursuing God's Will Together by Ruth Haley Barton. She writes, discernment in the most general sense is the capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and activity of God, both in the ordinary moments and in the larger decisions of our lives. I love this, this definition. You see, discernment is about more than decision-making. A lot of times we just kind of relegate it to the decision-making area, but it's an ability placed in us by our creator, this one who wove us together in our mother's womb to detect and delight in the presence and activity of God in every moment and every aspect of our lives. Discernment is a close friend of wisdom. They go hand in hand. My definition of wisdom goes something like this. Knowledge says rain is wet. Wisdom says grab an umbrella. Wisdom is simply knowledge applied. Discernment employs both. It uses knowledge, basic information. You need information to have discernment. And it uses wisdom, practical application of that information to recognize and respond to the presence and activity of God in every aspect of our lives. Now, if you weren't with us last week, you've got to catch the teaching on the podcast. We kind of laid a foundation for everything. By the way, Mary Stroman did check in. She listened to the podcast. She was a little surprised to hear her name. I'm sure she'll be surprised to hear it again this week as well. So one person is listening. Good news. I'm not going to do a whole total rehash of that. You have that. But let me give you this. Last week, we looked at some of the, some of the challenges that exist when it comes to discernment, internal challenges and external challenges. The main external challenge is the quantity and quality of information that exists in our world. There is so much information, and not all of it is good. And so we've got to not only sort through all these piles of information, but then we've got to figure out, is this a good source or a bad source? So, so that's the challenge externally. Internally, the challenge is me. It's, 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 it's within me. It's, it's my bias or more fundamentally my agenda. We humans tend to be rather slithery when it comes to objectivity. We pretend to approach facts with complete neutrality. Oh, I'm neutral on this. We just want to follow the truth where it leads us, we say, when in fact we've already made up our minds and we're searching the stacks of information that reinforce our preconceived notions. We have an agenda, and we need to recognize that we have an agenda. And so to be objective, we need to move to a stance of indifference. By indifference, we do not mean passivity. It doesn't mean you don't care. Maybe a better word is deference. We defer. We defer to God's desire. We defer to whatever truth tells us. We hold loosely our opinions and our intentions. As Christ followers, we say with a deep 
sense of surrender, yet not my will, but yours be done. We live in the spirit of the prayer of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here I, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Both Jesus and Mary had personal desires. Please understand, they had desires. Using the terminology we're using today, they had an agenda. They knew what they wanted, but they were indifferent to their own agenda. They deferred to the holy will of the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. So, so let's keep moving. So I want to talk about the tools that God has resourced us with so that we can grow in discernment. Every person here has the capacity for discernment. Every one. I know you're sitting next to somebody today and you're saying, well, no, there are no exceptions. Every person here has the capacity for discernment. It's not about smarts. It's not IQ-based. In fact, it might be safe to say that sometimes smarts get in the way of discernment. It's kind of crazy. Too much information can clutter the discernment process. Or our own lack of humility can clutter the discernment process. Every person here is a person who can grow in discernment. And granted, discernment does grow. It grows with time, and it grows with experience. It is grounded in wisdom, and wisdom grows with experience. You see, I'm not saying everybody here has an equal amount of discernment, but every person here has a God-given capacity to grow in wisdom. By the way, I should add, discernment is listed among the spiritual gifts in the Bible. Remember spiritual gifts? They are, there's a difference between having a capacity, the ability, or a responsibility and a supernatural empowering from God that could be referred to as a spiritual gift. So let me give you a couple examples. Everyone, the Bible says, is commanded biblically to give, right? Yet some people are spiritually gifted to be generous. That does not mean that we just say, okay, let the generous people do the giving for us. It means that God has supernaturally empowered them to experience results beyond average expectations. The same is true with evangelism. Every person is biblically commanded to share Christ. Yet some are spiritually gifted to be evangelists. That does not mean that it is their responsibility to witness on behalf of everybody else. And we could just leave that alone. It means that God has supernaturally empowered them to experience results well beyond average. So it is with discernment. Everyone has the capacity and the responsibility to discern We can't farm it out to someone else. Yet God supernaturally empowers some people to discern well beyond an average level. We can all discern. I hope that's clearly established. Like any ability in life, the growth that can happen takes place as we learn more and as we exercise what we have learned. So today we're going to talk about these tools that we can employ to grow, to exercise as a discerning Christ follower. Last week we used these categories of of external and internal. And we're going to go there again today. Now, I've always got to slow down because my typo tendency is always there. Internal. Have you ever written in front of people? Not easy. It really isn't. I should have better discernment. I shouldn't do that. Anyway. Let's start with the internal tools. 
God, God has given us some internal tools, some things that are within us that give us a capacity to discern. Perhaps the most valuable tool in your discernment resource pack is the stamp placed on you at creation. The stamp does not say made in Taiwan or made in China or made in Japan or even made in America. No, it reads made in the image of God. You and I, every person, every human being that has ever existed is made in the image of God. Those words mean more and more to me with every passing year. Understand, God, made in the image of God, does not mean that we are God. Okay, we're not equals with God or, or we are not God. It does not mean that someday we'll become God. We'll have our own little universe and all that sort of stuff. But that unlike anything else in all of creation, we are like God. So internal, image of God. This is one of the tools that God has given you, that he's placed his stamp on you. This is an essential quality that distinguishes us quite literally from every other element of creation. Look at these verses. This, this term is mentioned four times in the Bible in three different passages. As creation begins, we see that God says, let us make human beings in our image. There it is, the image of God, to be like us. How will they be like us? Well, they will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the ground, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. 27 says, so God made human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's the stamp. Made just like me. You go over to Genesis chapter 5 and we read, then God created, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. There's the image again, stamped on us. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. He named them mankind when they were created. We come post-flood, the great flood. And after the great flood, God makes this command. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. This is a special form of life here. What do these passages teach us? They teach us that human life is distinct. It is unique. It is special. It is valuable above every other life form. Why? It is the only life form in all of creation that bears the unique stamp made in God's image. That image bears a unique likeness to God. As humans, we look like God. And because we know God and, and, we, and we understand God... We are able to look to God to understand more about ourselves and who we are and how we work. The thing about this likeness is that we are an imperfect reflection, imperfect reflection of his complete perfection. Even before the fall, before sin made its impression on our nature, we were not an absolute reflection of God in all of his perfection. Does that make sense? We didn't walk around the, exactly the way God does. Let me, let me show you what I mean. God knows everything. Some of us think we know everything, but God knows everything. We know some things. Still, we are like God in that we have the ability to know. God is all-powerful. We have some power, but our power is limited in scope. And yet we have power just like God. God is everywhere all at once. 
We're somewhere. But we're not everywhere. And yet we exist in space and time. We're here. God has perfect discernment. Perfect discernment. He has, we have a capacity for discernment. Not perfect discernment, but discernment nonetheless. We reflect who God is. And this is a piece of who God is. A dog, a cat, a piece of lettuce, a Venus flytrap. None of these have the ability to discern the way we have the ability to discern. For while all of them are expressions of life, we are the only life form on earth that bears the stamp made just like God. So as humans, even as unredeemed humans, even as lost humans, we start with the capacity for discernment because God is a discerning being. And we've been made to reflect his perfection in an imperfect, partial way. So let's break this down a little bit more. If if we're made in the image of God, and we are, what are the internal qualities of God that give him the capacity to discern perfectly? Well, first, God is a rational being. God is a rational being. So we'd put here the word intellect. God has actually given you intellect. He's given you a mind. You got that gray stuff up there inside of your head? There's a mind there. God God has intellect, and so do we. We're able to think the way God is able to think. We have that going on for us. God is a rational being. He exhibits the ability to think, to reason, to debate, to decide, to discern. You've heard it said, God gave you a brain, use it. Well, That is an incredibly true truth for the Christ follower. God has given us a brain. He wants us. It's not a verse in the Bible, but it's true. It's so true. There's a college fund that has the slogan, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Let me tell you, for the Christ follower, this is the truest of all truths. God wants you to use your mind to discern. Now, I've been around long enough, and I've witnessed and experienced interesting trends among Christians for some reason, at times, Christians can have, tend to have kind of this uh, anti-intellectual movement. I'm not sure why. But we, we tend to think that the more, the more ooey-gooey, the more mystical something is, the less we can understand it, the less we can make sense of it, well, this must be the truest truth, right? Some Christians seem to think that thinking is actually the enemy of the soul. That if we think too much, we're going to go to a bad place. I actually had older people in my life when I was talking about going to seminary that said, don't go. It'll ruin your life with God. All you'll do is live up here and you won't care anymore about God. You'll grow cold toward the things of God. And yet, remember the verse we looked at last week and the verse we look at so often. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... Yeah, exactly. Your mind. God wants you to use your mind. We're transformed. We're changed by a, by in, in our mind through a process of renewal. So, God thinks, we think. God analyzes, we analyze. God notices, we notice. God discerns, we discern. I don't have time to unpack every way that we're like God. But let me talk about one area where one other area where discernment is vital. God is an emotional being. You can actually use your emotions in the process of discernment. 
Some of you hear me saying that, and you're already like red flagging. You're like, yeah, I get the brain thing, but oh, my emotions. My emotions take me to bad places. Here's the thing. God's emotion, his emotion is recounted in numerous verses in the Bible. He's described as joyful, happy, rejoicing. He delights, he loves, he has compassion. He is also described as being grieved, as being jealous, as being angry, and believe it or not, as even hating, hating, being hateful. God is a feeler. Emotions are an essential component of his makeup. Again, these emotions in God are expressed perfectly, void of any of the impact of sin. We, on the other hand, are not perfect and very much full of sin. Hebrews 1, 3 tells us that the Son of God radiates the very expression of the character of God. So we can look at the life of Jesus. We can see the emotion that he had and the way he used emotion in order to go through a discernment process. Our emotions are a vital tool in the discernment process. Beautiful verse in Philippians 4, 7 that says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he, what, all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Jesus. This is a beautiful verse. What is this saying? Sometimes you're doing the math and you're going, it makes no sense to move ahead with this. This is crazy. This is scary. This is nuts. This is dumb. And there's something going on inside that says, and for some reason, I just feel tremendous peace about this. Now, some of you hear that and you go, oh, my word. You know, I've known people that have peace about doing all kinds of sins. What does the verse say? We, we have to, we're guarding our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This, is, this isn't just deciding whatever I want to do and slap a little peace on it. This is the fact that as I'm, as I'm living in Christ, as I'm walking in Christ, as I'm walking in a path of discernment, there will be times that God will actually use my emotions to prompt me along the way. There might be something that seems to make perfect sense, total sense. Why in the world would I not do this? And inside, there's an internal agitation. There's just an agitation. You're going, something's not right. Now, here's the thing about all this emotion, right? You've got to really know yourself well. I mean, if you're a natural fretter, guess what? You're probably going to fret when it comes decision time. If you're just kind of one of these, you know, skipping through the daisies kind of people, it's a, it's a minefield. You don't care. They're daisies to me. Uh, you got to know that about yourself, right? You got to know the natural tendency of your emotions. But sometimes your emotions, your emotions can actually re, they can reinforce other pieces of the guidance that you go, God, you're, you're prompting me in a direction. Now, we got to really understand ourselves. This one, I throw this out there, and I realize it can be a little danger. We're going to have a whole bunch of people later today, you know, well, I decided to do this because I have peace. Well, there, there's more to it than just emotion, but God is emotional. We are emotional, and God wants us to use that emotion in order to understand the direction we're supposed to take. This is really being in tune with God as we're praying and living in his presence. So, let's look at another tool for discernment. So far, we've looked at three internal tools. The image of God, our intellect, and our emotions, which are part of the, intellect, in, in the image of God. The next one, uh, it, it kind of, it's weird. I would call it external-internal, okay? It's both, and that is the spirit. 
the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is both external and internal. Why, why do I say both external and internal? Well, I, I label him that way because on one hand, he is a distinct being apart from us, right? The, the Holy Spirit of God exists. If we did not exist, the Holy Spirit of God would exist. But the Bible is also clear that when a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to reside within us. So he is aside from us and he is inside of us all at the same time. This is a vital tool for the spiritual discernment process. Spiritual discernment. The Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God. Jesus talks in John chapter 16 about the coming of the Spirit. He's explaining to the disciples, I need to leave so the Spirit can come. He goes on to say in John 16, there's so much more I want to tell you. You can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. You actually have this member of the Godhead. And part of his specific responsibility is to provide you guidance in truth. To help you to understand the path you're supposed to take. Even though at times you're looking at the path and saying, that doesn't make sense to me. The spirit understands and we can be, we can be guided by the spirit in the process 1 Corinthians 6.19 makes clear that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You actually have someone living in you. The Spirit of God, you take him with you every day of your lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gets into this beautiful conversation about worldly wisdom and, and, and God's wisdom and how he uses God's wisdom and not the world's wisdom. And as he's unfolding this whole conversation about wisdom he goes on basically to say there are things that the world cannot understand because they do not have the spirit they need the spirit in order to understand them he goes on through this passage he says no eye has seen no ear has heard no human mind can conceive the things god has prepared for those who love him and then he says these are the things god has revealed by his spirit So it is in the relationship with the Holy Spirit that we get the ability to discern more and more. I want to read this next part. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is, what we, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. I mean, the, you're different than what's going on in the world because of the presence of the Spirit in your life. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things of the Spirit that come from the Spirit of God and considers them foolishness. Do you wonder sometimes if you're the only person in the world that thinks like you? You, you know, you kind of, you're reading Facebook and you're writing and you're going, what? Really, what? The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. It, it, we, as believers, we have to have a partnership with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is revealing what cannot be known in the same way by the natural mind. The Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere human judgment. So it's not just a human judgment level, it's a spiritual judgment level. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord so to instruct him? Quotes the Old Testament. And then this last part, but we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit gives you the mind of Christ. You wonder sometimes why you feel crazy in the world? Because you're carrying around the mind of Christ and most people are not. 
Most people don't think the way Jesus thinks. Most people don't think the way the Bible thinks. And you're kind of going, how can I fit in? Guess what? You won't. You won't. Not if you're going to live this way. You won't. It doesn't mean you have to be an offensive jerk, you know, constant nasty posts. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you're longing to fit, you're not going to fit. Because I feel like the judge of the glove acquit. I feel a rhyme coming on. But anyway, no. I, you're not going to fit. You're not of this world. And so you're going to think differently. You're going to have a different mindset. Why? You have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. So we have this external, internal, the Spirit of God. How about the externals? Well, next week we're going to look at one incredible tool, and it requires a whole day looking at it. And that is, that is uh, community. Community of believers. We have other people who have the mind of Christ. Other people who share the mind of Christ. And they can be an incredible resource in the discernment process. That's next week. So I have to keep moving. Got like four minutes left. Oh, three. Here we go. Um, The other tool I want to highlight is, is this one right here, the Word of God. Okay? Word of God. Here's your discernment tool. You need this. I'm going to make some bold statements. You cannot grow deeply in spiritual discernment if you do not take this book in. You just can't. You can't know the mind of Christ if you don't even know what the mind of Christ is. You have to take in this book. You cannot grow deeply in spiritual discernment if you do not buy into this book. If you look at this book and kind of say, old, weird, hmm, don't believe it. Good luck. You cannot grow deeply in spiritual discernment if you deny the authority of this book. We bend our minds around this book. We don't bend the book around our experience. Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what we're talking about here, right? Dwelling. We dwell in the word and the word dwells in us. And as we dwell in the world and the world dwells in us, and the word dwells in us, we find our minds being bent in a way that is different than those who dwell in the world and the world dwells in them. It's, we're going to be different. We're going to be different. So what does this dwelling look like? Let me, let me just give you some examples, okay? The, the, the mindset of a Christ follower. Four examples from the Bible. Just look at these. In the beginning, God. The first four words of the Bible. And the world already wants to challenge them. God? I don't know. Beginning? Hmm. Well, do we believe this? Do we bend our mind to this truth? Or do we somehow try to bend the truth differently than what the Word says? In the beginning, God. What's that say? God's the starting point of everything. Is God the starting point of everything? Hard to be a discerning, spiritually discerning person if I do not believe that God is the starting point of everything. Keep going. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, we're smarter than that. Really? 
do we bend our minds to the truth or do we bend the truth to fit what we think our minds say? So God created man in his own image. I I don't label myself an environmentalist. I'm more of a naturalist. I love nature, all that sort of stuff, blah, 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 whatever. I was listening one day to someone on a TV show talking, kind of a very radical environmentalist, way, way out there, and this person said, the world will finally be the way it was supposed to be when human beings are dead. When human beings can finally be annihilated, the world will finally be what it was supposed to be. Um, Interesting thought, not at all biblical. Do we bend our minds to the truth of the word of God or do we bend the word to fit what we believe to be the truth? Keep going. Male and female created he them. Or according to the state of of New York, uh, them and 64 other genders or something like that. Do I bend my mind to the truth of the word Or do I try to reinterpret the truth of the word to look like what I want to think? we got to ask these questions. We're only 27 verses into the book. And we're already arguing like banshees, you know? Ah, I don't know. Can't really trust that. A lot of people say we're in trouble today because we've thrown away the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We've thrown out the first 27 verses. Just said, no... This old book can't understand what we understand today. We're smarter than that. This book, this book is my catechism. What is a catechism? What what does that mean? Well, it comes from the Greek word katecho, which means to teach. This book, this book is our teacher. A catechism was traditionally written in a question-answer form. A question was asked and you were supposed to memorize the answer and spit it out. With the Bible, I bring the question. The Bible provides the answer. I then form my mindset, my worldview, my perspective around the truth of God's word. Those lacking in spiritual discernment do the exact opposite. They look at life and interpret the Bible through it. The Christ follower looks at the Bible and interprets life through it. I read an article not long ago. I mean, it's been the last few weeks. About a guy named Bart Campolo. The last name may sound familiar. This is uh, Tony Campolo, was a Christian leader for many years, and uh, this is his son. His son has gone on a journey from evangelicalism to atheism and humanism. And I'm, I'm quoting the article, okay? This is, I'm not just, these are, a lot of these are direct quotes from his mouth. Bart explained in his journey away from Christianity that his journey away from Christianity began when he was exposed to urban poverty. It messed with my theology, he explained. I had a theology that said God couldn't intervene and do stuff. But after a period of unanswered prayer, Bart admitted I had to change my understanding of God. Sovereignty had to be dialed down a bit. Campolo admitted that changing his view of God's sovereignty was, this is quote, the beginning of the end of his faith. Why? Because once you start adjusting your theology to match up with the reality you see in front of you, it's an infinite progression. 
He said, so over the course of the next 30 years, my ability to believe in a supernatural narrative or a God who intervenes and does, and does anything died a death of a thousand unanswered prayers. He said, I passed through every stage of heresy. This is a quote again. This isn't, you know, this is a quote. I passed through every stage of heresy. It, it started with sovereignty goes, then biblical authority goes, then I'm a universalist. Pretty soon, I, I don't actually believe that Jesus rose in a bodily way. This is the key. Because once you start adjusting your theology to match up, with, to match, to match up to the reality you see in front of you, it's an infinite progression. I could have spared you a lot of time today and just read that quote. This is the issue of discernment. That so many of us, rather than using these tools that we've been given to interpret the world and interpret what's around us, we've decided that these tools are, are ancient. They're great for little old ladies. Sorry, little old ladies. They're great for all that. But we're just too smart for this stuff. We're just, we're just too smart for this stuff. Because once you start adjusting your theology to match up to the reality you see in front of you, it's an infinite progression. God, I pray that you would protect our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Help us to realize the many areas in which we are buying into the world's wisdom. And we're not even checking with you. We come to the point that what used to make us uncomfortable what used to cause a restlessness in our spirit, has died. Not because the spirit is no longer com com uh, complaining, not because the, the spirit is no longer contending, but because we've just decided to ignore what the spirit is saying. We've decided to ignore what the word is saying. We've decided to ignore what our intellect and emotion and the very image of God upon us is saying. We like to fit in. We really do. We don't like to stand out. Help us once again to understand and accept what it means to be in the world and not of the world. You wanted both. In that same passage where you were praying to your father, you didn't say, get them out of here, God. They'll never make it. You said, keep them here. But help them to remain unique, special, different give us the courage to pursue pursue your will your word and your truth where it will lead rather than fearfully quaking that if we stand up for what god says we might find ourselves on the outside in the name of jesus amen so as we walk away today, I told you next week we'll be talking about the value of spiritual community. In light of that, it might be nice to say hi to a person next to you before you leave. All right? We'll see ya. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all.